Welcome back to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I am joined today again for the second time by uh, Jeremy Hakias Greco. Jeremy, you made a move. How's, how's everything going for you? Uh, you know, I have my desk set up and I have my computer set up and I'm just going to call that a win for now. We're also joined tonight, um, recording on Monday night, August 2nd, by the former host of this podcast, Max Reaper and Sean Newkirk. Gents, uh, glad to have you back and I appreciate you navigating the uh, this trade deadline episode of the podcast with me. Hey Alex, thanks for having us on. Yeah, good to uh, Sean, I know it's, it's great to be back on the podcast, how about you? Yeah, yeah, you know, I listen. I listened to some old episodes. Man, we had we. I, I think I'm very, I'm very expectful and hoping, and I think it's going to. This podcast is going to be way more on topic than how we got on some of our podcasts. We we ventured <laughs> off into some dark, deep woods uh, on some of ours at sometimes, but uh, should be great. Well, I'm glad you guys are joining us today. I want to talk really quick. Um, First things first about the quote Dayton Moore gave Bob Fesco this morning on Adalberto Mondesi. So that came from 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City on Fesco in the morning. He said, basically, we can't count on Mondesi to play in more than 100 games. And like, duh. But also, has Dayton Moore ever said anything that openly critical? And and not that that's like overly critical. Like, it's a fact. We, We can't expect him to play more than 100 games. But they have been so Pat Mondesi on the back, you know, forever. And now for the first time, maybe I've ever heard Dayton Moore openly be negative about as an individual player. Um, Max, let's start with you. Have you ever heard Dayton Moore be this way openly and publicly about one of his players? Yeah, I mean, I think people were kind of surprised by the bluntness of Dayton Moore. And I was too, to an extent, but I don't know if it was – so much critical as, as kind of you imply, like it's just kind of stating a matter of fact at this point. And he's kind of accepting. I, I mean, the one, the one thing that's good about this, I think Dayton Moore is being a realist when he's usually an optimist kind of to a fault sometimes, sometimes to his credit, but he's being realistic about the situation. He's doing what I kind of have been saying all summer long. It's like, look, Adalberto Montesi can be party of a championship club. He just can't be a guy you count on for 120, not even a hundred games, maybe. I mean, anything you get from him at this point, is kind of kosher and icing on the cake. And frankly, I think the emergence of Nicky Lopez um, as kind of a viable alternative allows them that position to say, well, we don't need Mondesi necessarily um, because Lopez has played so well and we have Bobby Wood Jr. coming up. So, uh, you know, they don't have to go out and acquire someone. So, uh, you know, it is good that that Dayton Moore is being realistic about the situation and not saying, oh yeah, we need Mondesi to be a star next year if we have any chance of competing. But realistically, I don't know, can they be a contender without Adalberto Montesi being a 150-game player who, who turns into a star? I don't know. Critical may be relative compared to, you know, Dayton Moore standards, and, and so maybe realistic is a better word. So maybe it's is, is it funny that, you know, we're, you know, talking about him being realistic publicly instead of more like that optimist like you were saying. Um, Sean, it's a good question. Do you think there's any way – this Royals team as it is currently structured, add in a Nick Prado, add in a Bobby Witt Jr., you know, account for some some likely reg- positive regression from Brad Keller. Is there any way this team can compete and be 500 next year without Amondesi, who's a three, four win player? Yeah, that's tough. I uh, just looking up his projection. He actually was projected for two wins by Zips coming into the year. I mean, not a giant projection, but two wins is nice. I mean, two wins and gosh, I'm I, I, 
the new playoff system still isn't stuck in my head, but you know, two wins could be the difference between 83 and 85 wins. And that's a playoff team at 85 and you're the third or fourth wild card. You're whatever you're fourth place in the wild card with 83 wins. Uh, so two wins isn't a lot, but league average players don't come around, you know, that easily. Um, so yeah, I definitely think uh, Lopez coming around as Max said is, is, is a good sign. Definitely softens the blow. Um, I was thinking it was actually kind of funny that we actually have had a full season of non-injury from honesty, but it was the shortened season. I mean, it was like the one year it'd be great to get a full season was not last year. It'd be great uh, this year, next year. So we'll see. Um, you know, players are always just uh, the best predictor of future injuries, past injury. Um, so it's hard to rule out Montessi playing 106. It is easy to rule out. Sorry. It's hard to see him playing more than 100 or so games. Um, but even as we've seen the little time that he has played, you still could pick up an easy win or two just with him in 80 games with just how kind of great he is on defensive base running and a little bit of hitting the hot streaks he gets into. So um, I think for next year, though, there is going to have to be a lot of positive regression baked in to get you to, say, 85 wins um, to really get you on the bubble there. Uh, you know, you, you would hope for improvement from the 2018 class. And Max and I uh, kind of talked about that on Twitter today a little bit. You, you'd hope for improvement from them. Um, you could see Witt Jr., who by all by all accounts looks like a, at least a great defender, good base runner. Um, we'll see how the hitting side is, but even he's probably even a, a Monacy replacement kind of as is now, uh, just because you've got two great components that make up Monacy's game. So, um, and then you add in what could happen with Prado, Melendez, um, maybe Oliveras has a good season next year. So there are some positive signs, but I think you have to bake in a lot of positive next year to get you to 85 wins I think 75 80 is kind of optimistic but not completely royal blue color glasses another guy they're going to have to either find a new way to work with in the terms of their roster or totally replace is a guy they just traded and Danny Duffy and um, I was just looking up some of Duffy's career stats for the Royals He's 11th in wins. He's sixth in strikeouts. He's eighth in all time in Royals for the in Royals history in innings pitched. Um, Jeremy, I'll start with you. A, do you think Duffy is a Royals Hall of Famer? B, do you think that there's a chance that they bring Duffy? So obviously, there's a chance to bring Duffy back. But do you think that it'd be better suit the team to bring him back in a relief fashion, or do you think there are still places for him to get starts on this team in 2022 well uh the first thing i think about with duffy is um <laughs> i think we've talked about how often adalberto mondesi is injured but duffy's been injured pretty frequently as well um and they were even talking about at one point you know when they brought him back from his first injury uh they didn't send him on the rehab stint but then they they had him do a short start and then a relief appearance they were talking that they wanted to spread his innings out rather than try and get them all at once in a regular start. Um, and that makes a lot of sense to me as far as, you know, if you can bring it back in a relief role, maybe it can help him stay healthy longer, get a, get a better, um, better appearance from him, better production out of him, more consistency, keep him on the, on the team, uh, the active roster. And, and yeah, like you said, as far as can he come back? Absolutely. I think, I think we're looking at a similar situation to what we saw with uh, Billy Butler after 2014, where I expect any offer Danny gets, he's going to come back to the Royals and say, can you, can you give me something like this? 
and um you know if the if the royals can match something like whatever he gets then he'll be back max any thoughts on on duffy no i think it's it's you know it's a reasonable chance that he they bring him back although you know he's still at the point of his career where he probably expects to be a starting pitcher I don't know if there necessarily would be a spot in the rotation for him next year. I think they do want to start getting Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar up. And of course, Chris Bubich and Brady Singer are already up. We forget about Jacob Junis. I don't know if his future is in the rotation. Carlos Hernandez um, looked okay in the rotation his first couple starts. So um, they've got some options there. And of course, Mike Miner wasn't traded at the deadline. So he's still uh, an option as well. So, you know, if he's willing to take a hybrid role or some sort of relief role, and maybe reinvent himself in that way, then, then perhaps they bring him back. But I kind of think we'll see him bounce around with some West Coast teams. Um, you know, the Angels are a possibility. They certainly need some pitching. Um, you know, let him get one decent, one more decent contract um, because, you know, he's, he's starting to get into the twilight of his career. And then, you know, maybe the end of his career, we he, you know, the Royals give him the, the Greg Holland special where they bring him back on a minor league deal or maybe it's a cheap one-year deal. So I don't think we've seen the last of Duffy in a Royals uniform. Um, but I don't know if it'll be next year uh, because I don't, I don't know if he necessarily fits into what they're doing next year. Sean, I kind of lean on you sometimes when it comes to payroll and, and arbitration and things, being an economist. The thing that I worry about with Duffy is he made $16 million this year, and taking a significant pay cut, regardless of who you want to play with, probably isn't an easy pill to swallow. If – just looking at the way the Royals are kind of set up for next year, it looks to me like they could have about $20 million to play with to get back to their payroll this year. And then if you wanted to add payroll, they could add another 11 million. So they could add $31 million in payroll this off season and be right around a hundred million dollars. What kind of contract are you comfortable bringing Duffy back on? Because again, for me, he's a reliever. And we've never seen him pitch in high relief, like high leverage relief situations before. So I guess my, my question is, what kind of contract do you think would be reasonable? And then what kind of contract do you think is realistic if you're bringing Duffy back for two years out of the bullpen? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I was looking at, and I'm looking at it right now too. I wanted to remember what the relief. So <clears throat> I think, yeah, I mean, they've got a bunch of stuff coming off the books, um, which helps a little bit. Um, they've got some guys that are movable as well next offseason or whatever. You want to say this winter or next trade tra- trade deadline that you could kind of clear some books. Uh, I mean, shoot, just looking at the reliever sign just this past free agency. I mean, Greg Holland got $5 million, excuse me, uh, 3 or 2.75. I mean, I think there's a lot of these guys that, like, I think Duffy could certainly not expect $16 million. But I think you could easily see, I mean, Brad Hand got 10 and a half million, Rosenthal, Trevor Rosenthal, who was good. Um, he got 11 million. So I definitely think they're somewhere in that maybe six to 12-ish range. I think you could see Duffy, maybe a multi-year or the date more special of the single with uh, uh, the mutual. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable bringing him back. And I think Max is perfect. I was thinking the Greg Holland, Wade Davis special of bringing him back. Um, maybe not on a minor league deal. Uh, Holland kind of, you know, same thing with Davis kind of really uh, fell off, but you know, Duffy's still mostly there when he's healthy. Um, but yeah, you're right, Alex. I mean, it's a, it's a reliever role. A hundred percent, maybe a swing man kind of thing where he could go a couple innings, but I think, I think Duffy has made enough in his career. I think he, he's obviously absolutely loyal to Kansas city. I think he would come back on a reduced role, decent kind of amount thing. I don't see at this point necessarily him chasing money. I think he's a good enough dude that he actually might, 
um, look for the best organization and obviously the Royals he's very comfortable with and kind of uh, something that makes sense for a role for him. Um, if he's seeking starting pitcher money, you know, good luck to him. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but if he can get that kind of swing man kind of role or even uh, one to two, any kind of guy like Archie Bradley or um, even like Trevor Rosenthal did some multi-inning stuff, I think he could do that and make a one-year $10 million deal, um, you know, fairly easily. Somebody always will bet on health. Let's take a vote across the board real quick. Jeremy, is Duffy a, Hall of, a Royals Hall of Famer? I'm going to say because of the, the fan voting portion of it, yes. Max? I think pretty much everyone that played on the 2015 Royals is going to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. Like, you, you'll see uh, Johnny Gomes in there. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Duffy's easily going to be in there. Sean? Yeah, for sure. Max said it. Exactly what I was going to say. Everybody – if if you took two players in the exact same performance, if they were on the 14-15 team, they win. Like they're going to get an extra little bump up just because they're on the World Series winning team. Whether they should or shouldn't, that's another question. But someone's going to be pitching for for Alcides Escobar to be in the Royals Hall of Fame. He won a did, did he win an MVP like an ALCS? ALCS. Yeah, it was okay, okay. So yeah, so he'll someone will make that argument. He'll get in. So. He won't get it, but he'll he'll have an argument for him. So, yeah, I think that'd be a thousand percent is, yes. I wouldn't bet against Alcides Escobar being in the oh. Royals Hall of Fame. Oh, he'll be in. I think he's a slam dunk. Oh, he'll be in. <laughs> oh, no. Dang it. Is Chester, is Chester Cuthbert getting into now, or what are we doing here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chester Cuthbert. I do want to talk about the trade deadline, but real quick about um, Duffy. One thing I thought was interesting is I went back and looked at his playoff logs. He threw – like almost exactly 10 total innings in the playoffs between 2014 and 2015 combined. I was really surprised to see that number so low, especially because I think Brandon Finnegan got close to 10 innings in 2014 alone. I forgot how hurt Duffy was. I forgot how, how little he was using those playoff runs. So just on the human side of things, I was glad that Dayton Moore sent him to a team who is going to make the playoffs and, you know, Duffy is probably going to get a chance to get pitch again in the playoffs this year for a guy who was such an integral part of the spirit of that team, but didn't get to pitch a whole lot in those playoff appearances. Um, I was happy to see that. It was such a double-edged sword because it freaking HDH was just so good. There was no room for anybody else. There was no reason not to bring in one of those three guys, you know, back to back to back. It's just like Duffy probably could have done some seven, six inning stuff, but just give it to HDH and they said, okay, well, we'll close it out. Yeah. Any combination of the H's there too. It was either Holland or Hochaver, whoever was happened to be oh, available yeah, yeah. that year. And um, so Duffy does get traded. The Royals, you know, there was some smoke about Seattle getting in on Whit Merrifield at the trade deadline. It was thought that Carlos Santana may be available. Um, I want to start with Whit Merrifield being the, being the all-star this year. He took a, he's taken a pretty big drop in terms of production offensively this year. And I think you can tell by looking at him at the plate, like it's, it's not the same approach. It's not the same swing. He does not look like the same player at all. I have been trying to get the Royals to trade him since 2018, doing everything I can on the blogospheres and Twitter verses to get the Royals to trade with Merrifield. They clearly are reluctant to do so. I am afraid we are seeing why you trade a guy like that when your team is that bad. And I am really starting to be afraid that it's going to come back and bite this team in the butt. Max, I want to start with you on this one. 
Whit Merrifield next year now is obviously going to be expected to be a borderline all-star caliber player again for this team in a year where they expect the team to compete. We can think differently of their expectations, but they're going to expect this team to be 500. They're going to expect Whit Merrifield to bat at the top of the lineup and be an integral part of the team. He's got a 93 weighted runs created plus this year, down from a career low 105, 106 last year. How confident are you we'll see Whit bounce back? And how confident are you the Royals have made the right decision holding on to him this long? Well, the first question is a good one. I don't know. You know, he's he's 32 years old now, and we've kind of, you know, I think been a little bit afraid of him hitting that wall for, for a couple of years now. And he's, you know, done a really good job staving off a sharp decline. And he's, I mean, even a month ago, I think we were talking about him being on pace for like a five-win season. And then, yeah, you're right. He just kind of went into a tailspin really since the beginning of the month uh where he just hasn't been yeah i think you're, you're right he's he hasn't really looked the same out there i think maybe he's pressing a little bit um i think maybe he could use a day off and i know he's going for cal ripkin's <laughs> consecutive games played record but uh you know he probably could probably you know use a day off now and then uh so you know i we'll have to see if he's hitting that wall um i'm not you know it's i do think he's really important to to winning next year if they do want to contend um, but you know, if he ultimately does kind of fall off the table, he's only making two and a half million dollars next year. It's not going to totally break the bank. Uh, and they can kind of, you know, they have that really club friendly deal to, to kind of work with, um, you know, but did they hang on to him too long? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're right. You know, they should have traded him when his value is the highest, uh, every day that they, they wait, you know, they kind of, um, they kind of uh, lose value with him. I, I did think there's some interesting statements. Dave more, more you, know, you mentioned that Adalberto Montesi interview. Um, in that same interview with Bob Fesco, he talked about how he thought that teams were going to kind of come at him the last minute with with kind of overwhelming offers, and that never materialized. And uh, there was a quote also from Mariners GM Jerry Depoto saying that we were unwilling to meet the high asking prices other teams were were asking for. So I kind of think there was an engagement there and the Royals thought, Hey, we value Whit Merrifield as X and we are going to get X for him. And the other team said, yeah, or at least the Mariners said, yeah, we're not willing to do that. And I kind of understand like where the Mariners are. They're not like super in contention. They're, they're probably not willing to part with their top prospects for what may be a futile, uh, you know, run of the pennant this year. So I do think there was some talk there. It's just that, you know, Sean, and you and I have talked about this, you know, Dave Moore kind of overvaluing his guys and the market telling him otherwise, and a deal doesn't get done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a behavioral finance issue altogether there of just that um, uh, the endowment effect as it is. It's just basically, you know, you think your players are better than they are. So, and it's been tough. I mean, Dave Moore is definitely not Jerry Depoto, right? He's not a dealer. Um, he really needs to, he really, for better or for worse, wants to be overwhelmed. Now, sometimes that's a good thing in a sense of, you're going to, you know, you're almost holding out for a good package. So you're going to get a good one, but sometimes you overhold stuff too. So um, yeah, I mean, I think with Merrifield, I think we all love the guy. Um, it is the, the good thing, at least with him is that his defense and base running, he has more stolen bases than the Mets and the, and the Reds team combined. He has, he has as many as the Mets. He has more than the Reds um, stolen bases this year. So that's still there. The defense is still there. It's just a matter of the hitting. And I mean, his plate discipline profile looks the exact same um his exit velocities look the exact same i think he's just getting a little some fluky results the babip is pretty much the same for the most part it's just obp is way down so i'm not sure what it is i'm not that worried about it i mean the weird thing is too you guys know me i'm usually the pessimist 
I was getting my ass kicked by Cardinals fans when I when I thought what Merrifield should be worth like I don't know a, a top thirty prospect in the org or something. Everybody thought he was garbage, but I must be overestimating him. But yeah, I mean, I I still think even next year you're talking about a two win player, and for a couple million bucks, that's that's really valuable. Um, so I I don't I don't hate Dayton Moore for not selling him for super cheap. I do think that they're perhaps State Moore is probably holding out for maybe a little too much still. Jeremy, what last thoughts on um, Wit here? I'm I'm curious what everybody thinks of his positional value because we've seen him go to the outfield and the you know the advanced metrics really don't like Whit Merrifield in the outfield. I think to the to the naked eye, it looks okay. Um, his arm really doesn't play out there, and overall defensively, again, the numbers just really don't care for him to play the outfield. Where at second base, he is, he puts up some great numbers. So, Jeremy, I'll ask you this. Assuming that Kyle Isbell, some combination of Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares is in right field next year, Ben Intendi is still in left. They go find somebody else to play center field. Would you rather your infield consist of Whit Merrifield at second base, Nicky Lopez at shortstop, and Bobby Witt Jr. at third? Or would you rather have some combination of Emmanuel Rivera and Hunter Dozier at third with Witt in the outfield, Bobby Witt Jr. at second base, and then Nicky Lopez at second? That, uh, that's, that's the question is what, is, what is the 2022 roster going to look like now? Because Witt Merrifield is going to be on it. Um, because he, he's got to play somewhere. And it seems to me that a lot of his value is tied to him playing at second base because he can play it competently. And that's where, uh, you know, it's a, it's not as premium a defensive position as shortstop or center field, but it's an important defensive position, much more important than right field. And he plays it uh, much better than he plays right field. I, the, the metrics do really hate him in right field. And I don't think he's as bad as the, the eye test doesn't say he's as bad as the metrics do, but like you said, his arm really doesn't play out there. Um, He he's more of a quick thrower than a, than a strong thrower. Uh, so you, you're going to kind of be, I guess it, it does put them in a, in a good position where, uh, if people are ineffective or, um, or, or hurt, then you've got a lot of flexibility between him and Dozier able to slide around in the infield and the outfield and, and kind of fill some holes and, and not feel like you, we're not, we're not talking about, uh, Willie Bloomquist or, uh, or, um, Oh gosh, what was the guy from just a couple of years ago? Chris uh, Owings. Chris Owings. We're not talking about those guys being on the bench anymore, that they have to come in and start if you've got this, this kind of roster. So in that sense, uh, you can look at this team and say, well, Adalberto Mondesi is, yeah, he's at shortstop and that's great. And oh no, he's hurt. Well, at least we're not throwing Chris Owings out there because we don't have another option. Um, and and really, even if Wit slides, uh, Wit Merrifield slides a little bit next year, even more than he has this year, and becomes less valuable, like Sean was saying, he's only getting two million. Um, if he slides to being just a utility player who starts, you know, a couple times a week, which is not going to happen, but assuming it did, you wouldn't. That wouldn't be awful. That wouldn't be a terrible thing to happen to the team. Uh, so yeah, I I've started off pretty upset that they didn't trade wit this year, but I've kind of come around on that. And I think it helps set up 
uh, a better bench for next year. And one of my complaints about the Royals in the last few years, even one of my complaints in 2014 and 2015, is that the team had no depth. If somebody got hurt, that they were sending Chris Owings out there. And that just wasn't a position you wanted to be in if you were trying to compete because people get hurt, except in 2014 and 2015. Uh, so so ha- having depth like that is actually probably a good idea. I want to say Chris Owings got $3 million from the Royals. Uh, <laughs> Eric will make 2.75 next year. So even if he's Chris Owings, he's, he's getting paid less than Chris Owings. So I think he's in good shape. Yeah, but the co- the cost, of course, isn't financial. It's, it's the opportunity cost of not yeah. getting anything for Merrifield, who was a good player for a couple of years when they were a bad team and weren't going anywhere. And it feels like, and I and it's hard for me to think of too many examples. So maybe I, this is just me exaggerating in my mind. Uh, you know what Dayton Moore has done, but it seems like there's been instances where Dayton Moore has kind of held his his uh, you know his, his his trump cards a little too long and not gotten great value. I guess the Ian Kennedy deal, non-deal, I guess, comes kind of into mind, although I know ownership, you know, it sounds like ownership really thwarted him from, from trading Ian Kennedy when his value was at its highest. David DeHaze is another name that comes to mind when he, you know, he had, was having his career season. Dayton Moore kind of waited until July, and then DeHaze kind of breaks his wrist. I'll, you know, I think cut, I can cut Dayton Moore a little bit of a break there because usually teams wait till July, and, you know, you could have known that DeHaze would – break his wrist but it does kind of feel like sometimes Dayton Moore doesn't uh you know maximize his the trade value of his players when he's kind of going through rebuild like this and I will I will second that and say yeah he should have traded Whit Merrifield two three years ago I just don't hate that since he allowing that he should have done it then I don't hate that he didn't do it now because I just don't I don't know what value is there in trading Whit right now yeah, and Mike Miner is going to say, Mike Miner is a good example, um, not just with Dayton Moore, but uh, the Rangers. I mean, Mike Miner was, had a near Cy Young winning seat. I mean, at least like the first half, he was great. Um, and like they could have flipped him, but they didn't. And then he, then they ultimately did trade him to Oakland and they didn't get that great of a return back from him. Now he's a free agent. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I, there's, there's a lot of those examples of guys and it's a, it's a common thing with teams. It's not just a Dayton more specific thing, but there does seem to be examples like that where it's like, man, sometimes he's too loyal to players, which is both a good to bad thing. We saw the loyalty bring in minor league free agents and guys that just signed with the Royals because they knew it was a good organization. On the other hand, it does have come at a bit of a deficit to the the, the major league team at times. Well, and, and Merrifield, you know, he's the one that got more attention. Uh, and I kind of get why, um, you know, Daymore might want to hold on to him. But Carlos Santana was kind of the more puzzling non-trade in that you know, he's 35 years old and they have his replacement in AAA tearing it up uh, in Nick Prado. And, you know, I felt like that was a game of chicken where Dayton Moore was like, I've got Carlos Santana. I'm willing to trade him, even though he's got another year under contract. Um, but I want something decent for him. And unfortunately, there was another player out there that was being traded in Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. And uh, the Yankees bid on that uh, trade instead, which wasn't turned out to be not for a whole lot. Aldo, I know I'll defer to you, Sean, but about Aldo, I think Rodriguez, what it was it. Um, but didn't seem like it was that great of a haul. And, and, and you know, there was a possibility with the Red Sox as well. And I think with Kyle, Kyle Schwarber, who I don't know if he's, he's going to be playing first base for them or not. Um, but, you know, ultimately a deal wasn't done. And so that kind of surprised me more because I thought maybe Carlos Santana would get traded and now you're, you're holding on to him next year and, and we'll see, maybe he gets traded this off season, but 
you know, is he going to be a productive hitter at age 36 at $10.5 million? That is a deal that could end up hurting the Royals if he suddenly craters and, 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 and isn't, uh, and starts hitting what is, you know, what his age would, would dictate he starts hitting. So I thought there'd be more of an impetus to move him and not asking for top dollar. And that kind of tr- surprised me a little bit more than, than Witt not getting traded. I kind of felt like the Royals would have made a lot more deals this year, except that, uh, the Cubs and the the Nationals both kind of flooded the market with just all, their entire rosters. It was I feel like if you were anybody else trying to sell, you were at a severe disadvantage because those teams were having the fire sale of fire sales. Yeah, and I will say the one thing about Santana too is his strikeout to walk ratios don't budge. I mean, he is he's striking out fewer this year than he has since 2018. The walk rate is a little bit lower as well, but it's right there. With Carlos Santana, I think, you know, worst case scenario, he's your DH next year. His on base is around 350. And the Royals, I mean, your only other guy like that is Nicky Lopez right now. Nick Prado has shown a really good eye at the plate in the minors. And I think that's actually probably his strong suit right now. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Nick Prado, while he strikes out a little bit, walks in 16% of his plate appearances, 15% of his plate appearances, puts an on-base up there around 360 and hits for some occasional power even, like, as soon as next year. Um, But then you have a couple of those guys in the lineup while the rest of your hitters are just pure swing at everything that comes close. Um, You need a few guys like that. So, the the, like, Max, you you hinted at it. Like, sending Aldo Ramirez to Washington for Kyle Schwarber was nothing. I mean, that's basically what the Royals got for Jorge Soler and Casey Kalich. Like, I really don't know how different those arms are at this point. I know one's a little bit older, but I mean, really you're splitting hairs in my opinion. So holding on to Santana in a lineup where, again, if you think you expect to compete, I mean, Santana at this point is surplus value. I think he's been fine. And for the low A arm that you were going to get, the Royals got a lot of those. They don't need more of those arms. So I was okay with them not trading Santana. I want to plug an ad break in right here really quick because there is a guy that I thought they should have been looking to trade a little more of. And we'll talk about that on the other side of this ad break. Uh, We'll be right back. All right, guys, the next thing I want to talk about on the trade block is maybe not as much as a guy that I thought they should have traded for sure, but it's kind of the guy I was hoping they were going to try to trade because I really don't want him to offer him extension. And it's Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi is not having a banner year. His weighted runs created plus is just under 100. So he's he's basically been a league average offensive performer. He's hitting for, you know, career norms and power. His walk rate is way down. His strikeout rate is also in pretty good shape. It's back to like his 2017, 2018, right around those career norms before it kind of inflated in 2019. But he is bad defensively. Like, he's not good in the outfield. He may have the worst arm. Like, I mean, he he throws the ball. Like, I've got high school kids that can throw the ball better than that from the outfield. It's not good out there. And, my gosh, he just – he's so average offensively. I don't know what the benefit is. Like, I don't know – I legitimately would rather them run out there, Whit Merrifield, Kyle Isbell, and Edward Olivares, just as a as – a, as we can develop other outfielders you know, Benintendi has been worth in 79 games, 0.2 F4. Like that is so beyond replaceable that I'm, I don't understand the need for an extension. And so 
Like I kind of get holding on to him to see if his value goes up a little bit before you trade him. I just really hope they don't extend him. And so I was kind of hoping they would trade him. Jeremy, I want to get your thoughts on this first. Um, any general thoughts about Ben and and what his expectation should be for this team in 2022? Uh, so you started talking about him. So I looked up his fan graph stats um, and I thought he was doing a lot better than that. I'm not sure uh, where the disconnect is. Um, but I, I thought he was actually having a pretty good year and, uh, yeah, you're right. He's not, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I, what was, do remind me again, what the injury was that he suffered. Sorry, it was a rib. He broke his rib, uh, like a hairline fracture in his rib cage. So I don't know how much that kind of injury lingers. I was thinking if it was a wrist thing, that would really um, point out like, oh yeah, that's why his hitting's gone down. Um, I didn't realize the defense was that bad. I thought his defense was pretty good. Uh, but I do definitely get the sense that the Royals are going to extend him. Something about him reminds me of Alex Gordon. Um Maybe it's just that he's a left-handed hitting left fielder, uh, but he he just has this general demeanor of just calm steadiness to me that reminds me a lot of Alex Gordon. And I think Dayton Moore is going to look at him and go, you were a top prospect uh, and I'm going to bet on you to, to really turn around and find that, that, uh, that, that uh, star power again. And I, I fully expect them to extend him. So uh, condolences in advance. Sean. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jeremy, I think, I, I think I I'm, I'm with you too. And thinking of like, I thought he was having a little better year and he had that really kind of hot streak. And there are, <laughs> there are, there's some Twitter accounts that really amplify the good stuff. And maybe I bring it down with the bad stuff, but there are some accounts that like amplify the good stuff. And I go, and so I have that in my head. I'm thinking like, oh man, Benintendi really is coming up. But yeah, he's kind of falling off a little bit. Um, he's just not hitting the ball. I mean, if you look at his stat cast profile, he's just not hitting the balls hard. Um, his, his exit velocities are pretty much the same, but I think I think the league exit velocity has gone up just a little bit with the new ball, if I recall correctly. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, I don't think he should be extended. I think it was a good shot. And kind of touching back about what we talked about before the break with Carlos Santana, I think Dayton Moore has done a fairly good job of finding reclamation projects, uh, reclamation projects. And um, the problem is holding on to those reclamation projects. Now, Benintendi is not that case, but Santana is. But I think this is a worthy shot. I mean, I loved Benintendi coming out of Arkansas in the draft. I thought he was awesome. I would have loved the Royals to take him. I don't remember if he was still available or not, uh, but I would have loved for the Royals to have taken him back then. Um, and I mean, it was a good shot, good try. Maybe not going to work out, but this is one of those where you just kind of take the sunk cost and say, okay, didn't work. Let's, we've got a million other outfielders. Let's just see what else we can do. Yeah, this to me, like in 2015, when they signed Morales, I mean, just could not have worked out better, right? So if we were looking at this Royals team in 2021, and they had won they're, – they're on pace to win like 87 games and make a wild card or something, I would look at this as a slam dunk. I think Dayton Moore did a great job of finding value and trading nothing for it. Um, and with Santana, two years, 17 mil for a guy who's one of your better hitters, like playing first base, there was a hole in your lineup. If this team was competitive, those both would be such good pickups that 
And by the way, they still are. Like, I don't, they didn't give up anything to have either of those players in their lineup stabilize the lineup that if you want to argue they shouldn't have signed them because they should have lost more games, whatever. I'm not really probably going to entertain that. But, I mean, two really good values for giving up nothing for them. I'm just also kind of ready to be done. Like, if you can get the next time somebody offers you anything of surplus value for Santana or Benintendi, cut bait and move them. Sure as heck, don't extend them. I, I really am fearful. And it's not even like with Benintendi. Let's say he could be a league average hitter. He's so bad defensively, I don't think it matters. And it's not like he's like an, you know, like an Alex Gordon type of shape where you know into his late 30s he's going to go be a good defender. You know, Benintendi's only 27. He's already not a very good athlete in left field. Like comparatively to like me sitting on my couch, yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete compared to the average human being. But he's not that fast. His arm is not that good. I think he takes some decent routes. He just doesn't have the ability to go get it like Edward Olivares would. So, man, I I keep hearing these rumors, and I keep hearing people say something about extending Benintendi. And I'm I'm kind of at the point, I'm like, what are we even talking about? Because if, if what you're trying to do is prove to the world, ha-ha, look at the great value I got, man, here it is. Every, I'm trying to tell everybody who will listen. They got great value on Benintendi. They traded a guy who's going to strike out in 35 40% of his big league plate appearances. And another guy who is like Mondesi, Mondesi, but he can only stay healthy in AAA. Go do that. That's fantastic. They they got great value, but it's time to cut bait for me. And another guy who I had no problem with them signing, and a guy who like hasn't been good, but I don't think Mike Miner's been nearly as bad as his ERA would suggest either. Like I'm okay with them moving him to the bullpen next year. Like he's the one guy that they didn't trade this year that I couldn't make an argument for trading. Like I can't make a good argument in good faith right now of why they should have traded Mike minor teams are going to balk at the ERA. They're going to balk at the age, the declining strikeouts. Maybe somebody looks at him and goes, man, the fits in great shape. He's been worth two, two fan, two wins on fan graphs. Very serviceable next year. If they can roll out a rotation of Brady singer, Coar Lynch, um, you fill in the rest, Brad Keller, and they can move Mike Miner to the bullpen, and we can see maybe something that is um, reflective of what 2017 Mike Miner was in Kansas City. I'm all for them holding on to him. Um, so, I mean, in that regard, when do we think he moves to the bullpen, Sean? Do you think there's any chance he moves this year? And, or yeah. do you think, or do you disagree that they should leave him in the rotation for a while? Yeah, you know, I think I think that's where his max value is. And, and here, I think, is my argument for trading Miner is that um, typically, t- you know, yes, you could trade him in the winter, um, but let's just assume he doesn't get traded until next deadline. You have now lost 66% of his contract value because he will have gone from a year and a half left to half a year left. Yeah, you could move him to the bullpen. Teams pay less for bullpens than they do starters. So you're kind of taking a diminish on the contract. Then you're getting bumped down a bit on relieving as well. I, I do think, and then my other idea is that every we have this kind of mental thing of everybody has to get better. Um, Mike Miner might just be done. I mean, he maybe he's not a 5.6, whatever ERA guy, but maybe he's a 5.2 ERA guy. And we just, we think that players are going to be better, but sometimes when they get to be 33, 34, 35, they do just kind of fall off. And so you think like, oh, why sell him when he's at the, at their lowest? But we don't know this is his lowest. Maybe he gets lower. 
Um, so I thought it was nice to take the risk off the table, see what you can get for him um, at the deadline. I do think, though, that they see him as a starter. I would be surprised they move him to the bullpen, but I wouldn't rule it out um, because I do think, Alex, you're right. It does need to be – next year's rotation needs to be Singer, Lynch, Coar, Keller's fine, I guess, um, if you want to keep seeing what will happen to him. Um, and then who am I missing? Uh, yeah, Boobich. pick up Boobich. Yes, sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think that is – I think that has to be it next year. There's, there's no other rotation possible – as long as none of those guys get hurt, obviously. Jeremy. Uh, yeah, I, I'd probably keep him in the rotation at least to start the year. Um, I think a major part of his problem this year is, and, and I haven't done the, the math to back this up. So, you know, if I'm wrong, feel free to, to let me know, but I feel like a big part of his problem this year with his ERA is that, uh, Matheny keeps leaving him out there for a couple of batters too long. He, he Matheny goes, Oh, well, my other starters are only giving me three or four innings. I, I need minor to give me something. And he's, he's supposed to be the innings eater of the staff. And um, so I think he'd look a lot better if he was getting pulled probably after the fifth inning on a more regular basis, but the bullpen has been so overused by what the rest of the rotation has been doing that he's not really been able to do that. <clears throat> Uh, so just, uh, you know, maybe next year they'll, they can go with like a, a six man rotation. I don't know what they'll do. I think he's going to start the year in the rotation though, for sure. Um, just because they wanted to eat more innings and they want to continue to, to let the young guys, uh, kind of, uh, you know, work in there a little more slowly. They, they really like to bring those, uh, those starting pitchers along slowly. I, I will say his 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 uh, average fastball velocity is down four miles per hour from what he was in Kansas City last time, and two miles per hour since 2019. So I think if there is an argument for putting him back in the bullpen, he will see a velo boost. I mean, he's still he's still a good pitcher, just like in general, the secondary stuff is 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 still mostly good. But it's tough to live with a 90 and a half mile per hour fastball right out of the rotation. I do think, and it was actually kind of kind of curious even that when he went from Atlanta. He was injured, you know, Pitcher Atlanta 14 was injured, came back with Kansas City in 17. His, his fastball velocity went up almost four miles per hour, just like going to the bullpen, pitching those 60 whatever innings he was in the bullpen. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think moving him back might be the best argument from a performance standpoint, just because he's just not good enough at this point in his career to live with a low 90s. And I'm talking even maybe high 80s fastball because um, that's his average fastball. So he's sometimes going to be less than 90. Um, so it's just tough to live with that today. Last thing on my list here, the team expects to win more games in 2022, obviously, right? <clears throat> I've said all along that I think in 2022, this team needs to go 500. If they don't go 500, somebody needs to be held accountable. Who that is, I don't know. Um, I'd probably start with Matheny and Eldred and work my way up. But this, this team has to go 500 next year. They're currently pacing for 71 wins, which is right around, by, by the way, what every projection said they were going to win this preseason uh, Vegas. I think zips had them or steamer had them at 71. Somebody had them at 71. Like everything I saw was right around 71 to 73 wins. How does this team without, by the way, an air apparent to center field, how, and, and with Mondesi, you know, if the general managers coming out and say, we can't depend on him. 
where does this team find 11 wins, 10, 11 wins this offseason? Now, we talked about earlier in the show, they've got money to spend. If they want to go out and give Trevor Story $30 million a year to play shortstop so Bobby Wood Jr. can play third base and just roll with those two, I would argue that, you know, bringing a five-win player in really does more to the lineup than just five wins. So maybe bringing in Trevor Story helps you go from 71 to 78, 80. And then you're talking about just needing like a normal progression from the rest of your players. I could squint and see it. I don't think anybody's under the impression they're going to do that. So how can they make this team go from 71 wins to 81 wins? And by the way, I'm saying 500. I think the team is going to tell us this team's going to try to make the playoffs. So really what they have to go is 71 to like 86. So Jeremy, let's start with you. What do you think? Give me three options, three names, three things that can happen because this team by like, I don't know if anybody would argue with me that this team has to win 81 games this year without next year, without something bad happening to somebody in charge. Uh, so just kind of trying to think my way through what the Royals could be looking at, what Dayton Moore could be looking at and saying, Oh, we're going to find 15 wins this way. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is he's going to look at the rotation and say, all of these guys are going to be better next year. And, you know, it's possible if everything goes the way it should, they all should improve, but are they all going to improve that much? Um, and like you've said, uh, they definitely need, if they're going to compete next year, they got to find a, a center fielder and it's probably got to be someone better than Michael A. Taylor. Uh, I don't know who is on the market either in free agency or might be available in trade. Um, but it, yeah, if they, if they want to add 15 wins to this roster, they probably need to add a superstar somewhere. Um, center field is the most obvious place. Shortstop wouldn't be a terrible place if you're not counting on Adalberto Mondesi and, and you're willing to kind of juggle uh, the infield whenever he is available. Um, and then, yeah, I I don't know that I have a third option for you as far as like what, what could make this team uh, that much better. Uh, the bullpen, I think this year was not, uh, was was pretty good uh, for the most part early on and then just kind of got worn down by how few innings the rotation was able to give them so uh, maybe that's how the ro- if the rotation improves enough that the bullpen doesn't get quite so overused then maybe that's how you that that first scenario actually does work out a little bit but yeah they they're gonna they're gonna need to add at least one big bat I think to the lineup. Like, uh, like everyone has said, the Carlos Santana signing is a great signing. The Benintendi signing, they didn't give anything up though. I have to sit here and, and ask myself, Khalil Lee was being, uh, everyone was talking about, Oh, he's, he's going to be good. He's going to be good. He's one of the Royals best prospects. And now we're saying, well, they didn't give anything up when they traded him. So that makes me go. So what have we been talking about then? Um, so you know, they're, they're, they're going to, he made some good signings kind of in the middle, but he's going to have to find a big one, a big trade or a big signing, or it's nothing else is going to matter. I think. I think the, the free agent for me that comes to mind and Sean, I'll get your thoughts on Starling Marte. Starling Marte. If you go back since the beginning of the 2013 season, 
four wins, four and a half, three and a half, three and a half. He had one bad year. He was hurt in 2017, but he was still on pace for three wins. Three and a half, three on pace for three and a half, and then three and a half again this year on pace for four. Um, he feels like the exact type of signing that Dayton Moore would go out and try to make to prove to everybody, we're serious, we're going to try to contend. Here's our brand-new center fielder, Starling Marte. Um, there's also, you know, the the age curve on – on not on our side is starting Marte is already 32. He'll be 33 in the postseason, and he's going to cost you $15 million or more. He's probably going to get two or three years to do it. I don't think that's a good investment long-term, but Starling Marte has proven to be a very, very good major league baseball player. Sean, I, I can't think of any other options, but center field is I think by far the most glaring hole on the roster and the quickest way to make this team go from being mediocre to pretty good very quickly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think about the Broncos, the Denver Broncos, in the sense of where it's like you, if you want to roll out Teddy Bridgewater, great. You're going to win. You're going to win seven games. If you want to compete in 2021, if you're the Broncos, you need to roll out Drew Locke. Does Drew Locke stink? Probably. Is Drew Locke, is his ceiling higher than Teddy Bridgewater? Absolutely. If you are going to try to compete, you need to be trying to capture that variance. No offense to Nicky Lopez, but Nicky Lopez cannot be the best player on this team. If he is, you're not that good of a team. And again, nothing against Nicky Lopez. We all like him. He's a two, three win player. He cannot be the best player on this team. If you think that you are going to win uh, your division, he could be it. If you think you want to try and sneak into a wild card, he just can't be it. Uh, if you're going to be a dominant team, it's just, it's, you need more talent. Um, so I, yeah, I, I like the Marte actually idea a little bit. If, if the idea is to push your chips in for 2021, I definitely like the Marte idea. Um, yeah. Who knows what 2024 might look like with him, but he's a really freaking good hitter. He's a good defender. Um, he's not going to break the bank. Yeah. And he'll probably get two or three years. I was thinking the Marcelo Zuna deal. Um, he'll probably get something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise like, that's the signing that they'll have to do. They'll have to get a quote unquote flawed player. And the only flaw is his kind of age. Um, they're not going to be in on like Carlos Correa, Noah Syndergaard, uh, Corey Seager. They're not going to be in on those types. Those are the types that would be great. I mean, that turns those five one players turn you into a fringe contender to maybe having a shot. But I think the way to win in 2022 is going to be try to capture as much variance as possible, uh, promote everybody. Give everybody who has ceiling a shot, um, you know, losing, Do maybe don't cut Dozier. I don't know what you do with that, but not having negative wins from Dozier and Solaire, whatever they are worth, negative three combined. That'll be, I mean, that as long as you just don't have care, those terrible guys, that's three wins right there. Um, so I could see the only real argument uh, to actually being competitive is just trying to capture variance. And maybe that's like signing a Michael Conforto, right? Who's having a terrible year this year but in the past he's done pretty good maybe not a great defender um but he's i think he's a fairly good hitter you know this year excluded so i think that's kind of what you have to shoot for you have to go for rebounds and you have to promote the guys with high ceilings and push all your chips in um you know it'd be great to have mondesi if he could be healthy that's probably three or four wins right there who knows what prado and what junior are um, so yeah, I, I think like I was saying with the Denver Bronco analogy, I think you start Drew Locke to see if you can win nine, 10 games. If you just go for Nicky Lopez or, you know, Teddy Bridgewater being your best player, you're not going to, you're just not going to win enough. 
final thought for me, I think it's getting more and more likely all the time that the Royals move one of these arms this offseason for a bat. Like, I think we've just seen that there are not enough bats in the system. And by the way, at the right positions, like they don't have any center field options in-house that can be ready before. Like, I mean, John Rave, I like a little bit. Is he the is he like the closest one? I really I really think he might be. Yeah. He's striking out thirty percent of the time in high A. Like I really don't know what their options are. So Rudy Martin, you, but not a center fielder. So I mean, can yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. My thoughts were, can you get Alec Marsh into the Double A rotation this year, send him down to the Fall League and show him off, and then trade him for like a Josh Lowe in Tampa Bay? Can you get something like that done this offseason? I don't think it's crazy. I think Alec Marsh is really good. I think the team like the Rays would take him, maximize his fastball at the upper part of the zone, uh, work with his breaking ball, which is legitimately sick. Could you – I mean, you're not going to trade Bowen while he's hurt. I do think they have some options, but at some point, like, is a Jackson Coar on the move? Is a, is a Brady Singer on the move? I mean, somebody – there has to be some kind of option – in center field because right now that is the biggest hole on the roster in 2022. Jeremy, any last thoughts? Yeah. uh, Trading an arm for, for especially center fielder, that would be, that would be a big step. That would be, I I think you're, you're looking at the Will Myers deal uh, right before 2013, uh, whether Will Myers, James Shields, Wade Davis, whoever you want to call that deal. Um, I'm just thinking from the prospect side, they, they traded a couple of really good prospects there, uh, to, to just plug the hole that they had, uh, with James Shields. And so, uh, yeah, that might be the move they make next year. And, and it would make a lot of sense, both from Dayton Moore's past, it would make a lot of sense, uh, for what the, what the team wants, thinks it can be in 2022, uh, so that is definitely a thing to keep an eye out for. Sean, any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I was thinking, Kyle, is Kyle, are we not considering Kyle Isbell a center fielder? I mean, yeah, he's he's maybe not a great hitter in, in the small sample size, but I think, it, here's my thought, is I think you could do, I, I think if you want to be good in 2022, like I was saying, capturing the variance, I think you promote Prado, there's your first baseman. With Junior at shortstop, shoot put Mondesi in center field for a bit see how that works out maybe Isbell there you've got I said Prado at first um Merrifield I mean promote all I I think you could try to capture that variance if you really push the chips in and that just takes promoting guys but I mean you're right Eric Payne is not ready if he's going to be your center field of the future which you know he's in the complex thing so he's years and years away um but I mean there's your center fielder of the future if you want to bank on him uh you don't have to do anything with Melendez because he's you got Perez and Melendez probably won't hurt to get some time in triple A. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, shoot, you've got yeah, I just think of anybody even in triple or double A really. Well, with Isbell, so he's played, I just looked it up in in Omaha this year, 38 games on the corners, 28 in center field. Yeah, yeah. I think if if Kyle Isbell played for the Yankees, I think he could man center field in those AL East parks. Hmm. I think Kyle Isbell could man center field in the NL Central. I don't think Kyle Isbell can man center field in the AL Central where you have Minnesota, Detroit, and Kansas City all in the same division. Even Cleveland's not a small park yeah, out there. Park you just have yeah. four massive parks all in the same division. So could Kyle Isbell play center field in the big leagues? 
sometimes. I just don't think you can say Kyle Isbell is going to be our center fielder and he's going to play a full 162 there. They've done it with wit in some capacity, so I maybe wouldn't put it past him. But I think your best lineup is something where if Benintendi's around, he's in left, Kyle Isbell's in right, Olivares is rotating with with Isbell and whoever's in center field. And when you go on the road, if you don't, if you bring Michael A. Taylor back, like if he's the option, if you play in Chicago, Michael A. Taylor sits, Isbell's in center, Olivares in right. So I think there's some combinations where it works, but I really don't think it's that way. Because I think if it was, I think you'd see him in center field every night in Omaha. So, but without, so I'm curious on what you guys think on without, uh, gosh, without Isbell in center, who's, who's your guys' right fielder for next year? I guess, I guess what I'm asking, all of ours? Isbell, I think. Oh, okay. 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 So then why, but Olivares is not a center fielder for you guys, is, I guess is what I'm asking ultimately. No, I think Olivares is, I think they've shown us that Olivares right now is a fourth outfielder. I don't know what okay. it is. I don't know what I'm missing. Like I don't truly, I've seen every peripheral that you would check on for a prospect, Olivares checks. I don't think he's great defensively, but he's fast. Like he can cover some ground. I don't know what I'm missing on Olivares. I just think the the team has told us he's not going to be an everyday big mm-hmm. leaguer. So, but if he's your fourth outfielder and he takes Isbell's spot against tough lefties and he rotates in center field in smaller parks and he gives Benintendi a day off, like I think he's a fantastic fourth yeah. outfielder. Yeah. I just think Isbell is much more likely to start every day long term. Yeah. Okay. No, I got you. Good. I was just trying to throw out where I was missing the outfield, but yeah, I mean. I, I I think you're totally right on all that. I forgot about the big parks. You're right. I think this ball, my mind's a little faster than maybe he actually is um, or better defender than maybe he actually is. Uh, so yeah, no, I hear you. But yeah, I mean, I think you just throw every, I think you throw all the spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks um, or you go sign Trevor story. They're not going to, but you go sign Trevor story or bias. You can play center field as well. Um, and just like, just really push the chips in a hundred million bucks is not a lot. It's particularly not in today's MLB. Sherman ate some of the money on the Duffy deal. So that's kind of like good. Um, it seems like they're willing to spend. So yeah, I would be, if they are really going to go for 2022, 92 million bucks or whatever the payroll is, is not going to cut it. They needed to be, they need to be spending a bit. I think Sherman, you know, hopefully will. All right. That's all the time we got for tonight. I really appreciate uh, Sean, Max, Jeremy joining us. If you guys hadn't noticed, we lost Max there at the break. So he had to run. Um, not sure when the next episode will be out. It's probably going to be a week and a half, a couple of weeks, but we will be back uh, here pretty soon in August. Hopefully the next time we meet Jackson Coars with the big league club, Edward of Olivares has not been demoted three times. And Kyle Isbell is getting closer to being back with the team. Just if nothing else to give us something to watch down the stretch. So um, like I said, I'm Alex Duvall. This is Sean. I've, I've been joined tonight by Sean Newkirk, Jeremy Hakias Greco and Max Reaper. Uh, You guys can follow us on Twitter, um, follow our work at Royals Review and over at Royals Farm Report. We will see you guys again next time.